Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today is going to be a great day. I've got Dr. Ann Bradley joining me in just a minute. We're going to talk about the economy, and then George Fraser is going to come on the program. He's the co-host of Real Recovery with me, and we're going to talk about the recovery uh, show we do on weekends called Real Recovery. And then Hour 2, our Old Testament series, continues with Dr. Jarrett Stevens, and today's uh, focus is on Esther. So that's the plan for today. Hope you can be around for all of it, and if you miss any of it. I promise you're going to want to go to MyFaithRadio.com, get the podcast, tell your friends, be the first one on your block to let everyone know where you can get all this great teaching and information. Dr. Ann Rathbone-Bradley, I love her middle name, she is the George and Sally Mayer Fellow for Economic Education and the Academic Director at the Fund for American Studies. She also serves as the Vice President of Economic Initiatives at the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics. She's written a number of books and I love having her on the show. And welcome. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me again. Oh, you're, you're always welcome on the show. I love having you. So I, I've got a lot of questions about the economy. How right now are we best at understanding the economy? Because when I think of the balance, how we balance the news of the crunch in our wallets with inflation, and then the, the news that the economy is recovering, but I sit and wonder how high gas prices are going to be and groceries are going to be, not to mention just the overall cost of living. So these are just some initial questions I have. What are, what's your response to this? Well, we're living in strange times, are we not? So it gives <laughs> yes. us a lot to talk about. And you're right. The last two years, we will be reading about these in the history books uh, years from now because it's an unusual set of circumstances that I think have created this kind of weird uh, environment where we live in, where exactly what you're saying is true. Uh, People are buying things. The economy has recovered from where it was, um, which was in an abysmal place, Mm -hmm. you know, not too long ago. Uh, And so, you know, the pandemic really took a toll on people's incomes if they were shuttered in, lockdowns. But It was weird as well because people still needed to buy things during that time, not just the regular grocery items, household items, but if people were forced into teleworking all the time or people who were trying to teach their kids when they weren't able to go to schools, then you had this increase in demand for laptops and, you know, um, internet boosters and all these types of things. And so you see uh, people stopped going out to dinner, but everybody needed a Chromebook. And so that was kind of going on <laughs> at the beginning of the mm-hmm. pandemic. So that, a lot of that has been sorted out in terms of, you know, the economy, in terms of the wild fluctuations in both unemployment and GDP that we saw in 2020 have, have largely recovered. People are out there buying. But as you say, we're facing this inflation. It's the worst it's been in 40 years. Um, and, you know, you there's just articles all over the place uh, that we can find that, you know, give us examples of inflation. I was able to just look at a few this morning. Uh, 
car and truck rentals are up 36%. Now, if you never need to rent a car or a truck, if you're not moving, if you don't travel, this might not hit your wallet. Um, hotels and motels up almost 30%. Mm. Used cars and trucks. This is a real problem for Americans because if you were, you know, I, my husband and I are holding on to one of our, we have two Hondas. We're holding on to a Civic, you know, just kind of hoping that it will last because we really don't want to buy a new car right now. Yeah. So we're kind of making the decision to put in some expensive repairs. I think three years ago, we might have said, let's just get a new car because the interest rates are low and it's under warranty and all those things. And so those <laughs> things hit our pocketbooks. Yeah. Gasoline up almost 50%. This is hits everyone. So the price that you pay to fill up your car uh, or your truck at the gas station, we have to do this every week, most of us. And, you know, you can't stop going to work. You can't stop going to school. And so I think, you know, this inflation that we're seeing presenting itself in, you know, again, some goods we don't maybe use that much, but some goods we're using all the time. Groceries are up. Natural gas prices are up. So inflation is a real problem that's with us now. And I think it's going to take some time to work itself out. And so to answer your question fully, where I get really worried is, A, the trajectory. So where are we going to go with this in the future? And, and B, I think just the, the inequality of all of this. And so if you're very wealthy, it's not that you like inflation. Uh, you want to pay less you mm -hmm. spend less if you can. But you can, you can absorb the price shock. But, you know, if you're if it's 50 percent more expensive to drive to your job and you're on a very limited income, this makes it hard for you to get to work. Yeah. So these are, I think, where we have really, you know, people in the economy just feel these pinches very differently. And I think we need to be worried about that. Yeah. And I'm going back to your two cars you're holding on to because you're, you're just going to try to hope that they hang in there, because right now, if you go to buy a car, Count on haggling the price up, not down. <laughs> yeah. People are paying Absolutely. over sticker. Um, there are truck dealers in California that, that say that there's a, um, a, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're tacking on these huge fees. Yes. Because they can. They can. It's supply and demand, right? Yeah. It's supply and demand. And so uh, with, you know, my husband's car in particular he has been in the shop for three weeks. We're waiting on a part. Oh, wow. We can't even get the part. So they think the part is going to come February 20th. <laughs> so when we're done, this car will have been in the shop for five weeks. Oh, my. Now, again, we have two cars. Yeah. So it's inconvenient, but it's okay. But what if we only had one car? Yeah. So this is what I worry about is it's just not affecting all Americans the same. And I think that this can really crush people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And so... Um, you know, inflation is a real concern. We saw this in the 70s. We don't want to live through that again. And so that I think to the extent that we can open up these markets and get these goods and services flowing, which is a lot of what's causing this, you know, we're going to get on that road to, to success and kind of reducing these rates mm -hmm. at faster. Yeah. Dr. Ann Bradley is my guest, and she's a, a economist and a professor and author. And I'm real curious as how inflation is changing how you live. What what is one thing maybe you could share with me? Text it over if you don't mind. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Be real curious as to know how inflation is changing the way you live. What are you doing differently? Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. And I'm not eating lobster four nights a week anymore. 
Yes, neither am I. It's very sad. <laughs> the good old days, right? So the good old days. you're a person that not only understands economic theories and graphs, which I don't understand, but I know you're also a person of, of uh, great faith and you're also a person of great common sense. So with that as a backdrop, I'll ask this question. When you see the spiking prices at the gas station um, and some of the uh, turmoil that now we have in our country because of uh, uh gas availability and everything else. Why don't we as America want to be energy independent and also be looking for ways to uh, try to be, uh, you know, cleaner? And if you want to go electric, we can pursue that at the same time. Why isn't it both and? Why is it we gave up one thing and now we're hoping that we get more electric and more uh, that direction? That's a great question. And I want to start with the first part of what you asked, which is to say, you know, should we strive to be energy independent? And I think you could say that for anything. You sure? You know, should we should we strive to be, you know, insert any good in service here, independent? And I think the way what economics teaches us is that we're never independent. We need each other. We think about that on a very, you know, kind of individual microeconomic level. I always give my students this thought experiment at the beginning of our semester, and I ask them just very quickly, I give them three minutes to write down everything they did from the moment they woke up until they got to class in Mm. the morning. So, you know, they jot down things, and they all have very similar things on their list. I do, too. It's, you know, you took a shower, you washed your hair, you brushed your teeth, you put clothes on, you ate breakfast, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of other, you checked your email, you printed out something. I mean, it could be a lot of things. And then I asked them, how many of those things did they make? Hmm. And some people will say, well, I made my breakfast. And I say, no, I like to think I make my breakfast too, but I'm really a breakfast assembler. I mean, it's (laughs) all I am, right? Because Mm -hmm. in my house, we, we rotate between, you know, sometimes my kids want eggs and sometimes we have cereal and depends on what kind of hurry we're in and things like this. So I can crack the eggs in a bowl that I didn't make. I can put it in a pan I didn't make. Mm -hmm. And so I have to have some assembly type of knowledge, but you know, the beauty of cereal is it's a box full of good things you like to eat. Hopefully milk, a bowl, a spoon. I don't know how to make any of those. So we're never independent. To flourish, we have to find a way to exchange. And so I think people really understand it when we talk about it on that level. But then when you start to talk about things like crude oil, we get a little bit more skittish about that idea of being interdependent. I don't think it's dependent. I think the right word that economics gives us is that we are all interdependent as human beings, as companies, as communities, as countries. Mm. So what does that look like in light of all the things we're talking about? I mean, would the United States be better off if it could produce all of its own crude oil? I mean, maybe only under some rare circumstance, which we had unlimited supply of it, you know, such that we really didn't need to trade um, and that trading would, you know, it might alleviate our time. Um, things like this, but we wouldn't go under, for example, if we didn't trade. But I wanted to take us to an example of a country like Venezuela. So kind of the nail in the coffin for Venezuela came early on when they decided to nationalize their oil industry. And that nationalization was driven by a desire to be independent. We're going to make it here. 
we want to export. We don't want to import. All You hear all countries saying these types of things. It's not just democratic countries or authoritarian countries. We all kind of like this idea that we're going to produce it from home because it's going to make us safer. I actually think it makes us less safe because in a catastrophe, if you have multiple trading partners and something happens to your own you know, resource, then you have other people, other companies that you can trade with to get it. Mm-hmm. But to try to say, I'm just going to be independent, I think actually makes the cost of these things higher and can really uh, not provide the insulation that we need in a crisis. So I think it has to be, how do we find, so that's the first part of your question. How do we find ways to partner, to trade with as many groups, companies, firms as possible across the world on something like a fossil fuel, which is Mm non-renewable. We want as many trading partners. We want lots of competition. That's going to drive the price down. We also want to depoliticize those markets. They're Mm -hmm. highly politicized and that usually causes problems. And then the second part is I think we want both, right? We also want innovation, green energy, energy conservation, alternative forms of energy. So I think you want energy interdependence and then lots of substitutes. And that's what's going to get us out of when we're in an inflationary period, we have this 50% increase on something we need to have, and we don't really have a lot of alternatives. Mm -hmm. And I've got an interesting question I'll ask you after the break. I don't know where it fit in to the conversation we had, but I know you'll figure it out because you're super smart. Dr. Ann Bradley is my guest. We're talking about the economy. Interesting topic. We'll be right back. Dr. Ann Bradley, professor, economist, author. Question I asked earlier at the top of the show was, how is inflation changing your life? And before I get to the question I have for you, Ann, I'll just throw out a couple of things that listeners said. I wear layers at home nearly every day so that I can keep the temperature of five degrees lower. The gas heat has been 50% higher this year. Uh, another one is the extreme inflation is forcing our family to buy lower quality food and we're eating mm-hmm. less meat by about half. And another uh, said, I, we can't celebrate birthdays by eating out I and mean, we can't buy the fresh fruits and veggies as I did before. Has a pretty expensive car payment now and that also took a huge toll on our paycheck. And this is just for a minivan, not a sports car. Mm-hmm. So the other comment that come in, it was, isn't this classic liberal economics of pumping billions into the economy to keep it falsely propped up, but it creates runaway inflation since the reality is the government produces nothing? Wow. That's an incredible question. Uh, So I think that there's some of that going on. So we have to look at Federal Reserve policy and then the United States government's fiscal policy. And those are I think both troubling for different reasons. If you look at inflation, there's both supply side inflation and demand side inflation. And so what we're seeing right now is that, you know, the money supply did begin to grow really quickly in March of 2020, but money demand also rose after kind of the worst part of COVID. 
And so I think the Fed's monetary policy alone doesn't help us understand current inflation. Now, it's credit policies are different. And we've talked about that a little bit before on the show, which Mm -hmm. is that the Fed is engaging in fiscal policy. And that is related to quantitative easing, what what the listener talked about as pumping money into the economy artificially. You Mm -hmm. can't do that. There's consequences to that. But I think some of what we're facing right now are supply side issues to inflation, which is we've all read about all the ships that are stuck at sea. We also have, you know, kind of a, a low job posting. So we look at the job numbers every month and we're not adding a ton of jobs to the economy. You're still seeing those help wanted signs. Those are related to supply side problems. Because, you know, if you want something on the shelf at Walmart, somebody has to bring it to you, both in a truck and in a warehouse and off of a farm. So I think, and, and it's, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. So once you get these inflationary pressures, then it's not just that we, we want the things, but they become so much more expensive to, to get that now as all those listeners typed, texted in their comments to you, they're having to make these really hard choices, wearing layers in the winter so we can keep our heating bill down. Mm-hmm. I mean, this does not scream prosperity to me, right? We want to avoid these types of things. In fact, to pick on um, the 70s for a moment, I think there was a time at which Jimmy Carter suggested that the Boy Scouts should go door to door and ensure that people were keeping their thermostats at 72 degrees as a way to combat these problems of inflation. If people would just turn their thermostats up, this is not a world we want to live in, right? Mm -hmm. People are saying they're cutting their meat consumption by half. That's hard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think these, these are real, real issues. And, and so I think that question that was posed is is accurate. I think we at the end of the day, the United States government, both left and right. So I don't think it's just a left problem. That's my opinion, though. I think they have a spending problem. I think they want to spend on different things. I think some are more culpable than others. Uh, but I think the spending that we have seen over the last two and a half years you know, through this pandemic is not sustainable mm-hmm. at all. And we're going to spend ourselves into an early grave, in, mm. meaning we're going to destroy the economy if we do that. So, so your listener is exactly right. This is a problem. Spending is unsustainable. It's not just the Fed's fault. Um, I, I think it really comes down to we've got to stop the spending because the bills come due, as they always do. Mm-hmm. So, Ann, what move might the Feds make that would help uh, reduce some of the inflation that's going on? So I think with the supply side inflation, there's not a ton that bankers can do. Okay. I mean, the, the, you know, the goods not arriving to us because they're stuck out in the ocean, the unemployment rate, these types of things, it's harder for them to control. Now, what we can do is loosen regulations in general, make it easier. I mean, some of the problems with the California ports have been directly related to the regulatory environment over when ships can come in, when they can dock, all these types of things. So often regulations are very antiquated. They've been on the books for a long time. They're not actually relevant to today. And they're often kind of a special interest group story. So I think we could make the economy better across the board. I mean, I mean, across every sector, if we would in general loosen regulations, I'm not saying you don't regulate anything, but I'm saying there's, there's a lot of unnecessary and cumbersome regulations that are both expensive for entrepreneurs to comply with. And that means that uh, as consumers, we're paying higher prices for. So that's one way. But I think in terms of what the Fed is doing, 
with extending credit, giving loans. Um, the Fed has been engaging this over the pandemic. I think it's unorthodox. I think they need to stop doing that. The Fed should not be engaging in fiscal policy. It needs to stay, you know, as, as we say, stay in its lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it needs to commit itself to conservative small C, meaning, you know, not volatile monetary policy that follows rules rather than discretion. I think that is the key. We've known that for a long time. I mean, Milton Friedman was a champion of this. Uh, but I think the Fed has been given a precedent to become much more involved. I mean, the Federal Reserve should not be giving out business loans. Mm-hmm. That's not what central banks do. It's not yeah. what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So I think a lot of times the answer in these situations is not what can we do, but what should we stop doing? Mm-hmm. And I think that's right here. Yeah. And personally, what do you think you're seeing the difference uh, when you go to the store? I mean, I I, kind of buy the same things all the time. So I generally kind of walk out with a bag that has the same things in it. You know, sadly, I I admit that. But uh, it seems that that $28 bag of groceries is now 41. I'm going, whoa, 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 you know. And then you stop at the store and then you get a tank of gas on the way home and you think, wow, I just, I spent 50 bucks pretty fast. Yes. Yes, I'm observing that in my own life as well. Okay. Yeah. So you do find that there's, um, um, you know, prices being spiked. There's, they're everywhere. So, um, And it's across the board. Groceries are, are up, you know, by about 30%, I think. Um, that was the number that I saw. So that's a lot. Yeah. And it depends. You know, that's groceries across the board, yeah. some things more than others. And so what this forces me to do, how I've been trying to adjust, and I'm, I'm not necessarily good at menu planning, mm-hmm. <laughs> but trying to think more ahead um, of what am I going to do? What are substitutions I can make? Because often it's also not just an inflation issue, but is it going to be there? Right. So for a long time, we had a bunch of snowstorms in D.C. over the past couple of weeks, and there was no milk, wow. and there was no chicken. So that's how Washingtonians deal with wow. snowstorms. We kind of panic by. Yeah. But I remember going to the three grocery stores trying to find chicken. And so I thought, okay, we're not having chicken this week. You know, we're going to have something else. <laughs> yeah. So I think you have to, we have to find substitutions. Um, I also think that this makes people eat not as healthy because if, if you're planning, like the family that commented, we're eating 50% less meat. Right. You're going to have to substitute something else for that. So we don't want to take away these nutrition choices that people, you know, want to make for their family. And I think inflation kind of forces you sometimes mm-hmm. to do that. So I, I, I definitely am witnessing this. I don't think it has to be permanent. We can get out of it. Um, but for the meantime, we have to do the wearing extra layers. We have to maybe eat more ramen and less steak. And, mm-hmm. and that's none of that's enjoyable, but um, we can't wave a wand and make it go away, yeah. I don't think. That's some other great questions coming in. I'm sorry I didn't get to them. One of them was, could you explain the Fed to me like I'm a fifth grader? That would have been interesting. So maybe next time yeah. I have you on the show. Yeah, maybe next time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you, Anne, for being with me. I always appreciate uh, your um, your wisdom. Thank you, Bill, for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Anne Bradley has been my guest. She's an economist and an author. The Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics.org. After a short break, George Fraser, co-host of Real Recovery, will be joining me. Can't wait.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to have all of our new listeners in the uh, western part of South Dakota, Rapid City, and actually into Wyoming. We're so delighted that you are part of the Faith Radio family. So if you are listening in Rapid City right now, this is really exciting. And we'd love to have uh, you understand more about Faith Radio. And you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and get the new welcome packet, or you can text the word welcome to 877-933-2484. And as you get to know some of the shows on the network, like Afternoons with Bill or Susie Larson Live or Mornings with Carmen, when weekends roll around, you'll hear my voice one more time with my co-host George Fraser, and we host a show called Real Recovery, which is a story uh, a show about uh, people's stories from recovery from addiction of all kinds through Christ. And it is a powerful show. I highly recommend you checking it out. And if you can't wait for this Sunday, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and check out the podcast. They're all there on the Real Recovery page. I've been doing this with George Fraser now for 10 years. I think we start our 11th year in March. So it's really fun to uh, do the ministry side by side with George. He's a dear friend and an amazing um, minister of not only the gospel, but he understands addiction better than anyone I know. And he's with me right now. George, hi. Hey, Billy. And the reason I know it better than anybody is I did it for a long time. So, yeah. Uh, you yeah. Are, how many years have you been sober now? Uh, well, we're coming up on uh, 38, I think, 38. which is a, an indicator. The way you do that is you don't use and you don't die. Right. That's how you get that. So yeah, it's been a blessing. It wasn't something any I wanted to do. And God gave me the gift and uh, we work it out, but it's mostly God, right? I would agree. A lot of people try to white knuckle recovery and I don't ever see it working very well that way. If God doesn't step up and the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't help you in your um, recovery, I don't, I, I get very nervous. Yeah, I was listening to Faith Radio one night, and Rick Warren was on, and he was talking about our willpower lasts about three months. <laughs> well, I would stay sober for three months over a seven-year period, and I would celebrate by using when mm-hmm. I hit that. And that made sense to me. What you have to do is make a decision, but the decision to stop using involves making a decision to be obedient to the Lord. And I never connected those dots. And when you put off the old and put on the new, so we're going to stop, but we're going to live the way God wants us to live. It's not about drinking or drugging. It's about living the right way. And it took me seven years to figure that out. But I think you only figure it out when the Holy Spirit gives it to you. Amen. George Fraser is my uh, guest. We host Real Recovery Together uh, Sundays at 5 p.m. Central Time and Saturdays at 3 p.m. Central Time. And as we are opening up uh, in Rapid City and parts of Wyoming, George, you have a pretty strong connection to Rapid City, don't you? I do. Uh, There was a minister named Don Asman when I was in high school, and I was getting kicked out of high school, hockey school, uh, you name it. It's not (laughs) that long a show to cover everything. And he would come visit me from the church my family went to. Great guy. He's from Rapid City. And in fact, he was there during the flood bill. They had a big flood back in the early 70s. It was horrible. And Don uh, came 
to see me one day, and he said, he had his Bible, and he said, George, if you died tonight, do you think you'd go to heaven or hell? Well, that's back when I was gambling, too, and I would have put everything on going to hell, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd go to hell for sure. He said, you want to change that? And I said, yeah. Got the Bible open, John 3, and that's the night I got saved. Wow. I didn't get sober right then, but that started it. And and the thing about the guy, Bill, he wasn't that effective of a preacher, uh, but he loved me. And he'd come by and see me, and he, I would tell him what I was doing, and he'd go, well, you know, God still loves you. And I was like, hey, I didn't even love myself, okay? Um I wouldn't be alive, I wouldn't be saved, and I wouldn't be sober if it wasn't for Don. Wow. And he was from Rapid. Wow, that's a great story. You know, you show up, you care, you love. Well, that's the the very first way to get someone's attention who is struggling with an addiction, isn't it? I, I think with anything, absolutely right. And I think that's the way Jesus would do it, Bill. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is it working and it's wrong and it's a sin. I still love you. I got a better way for you. Mm-hmm. And gosh, that's encouraging. So Rapid City will always uh, mean a lot to me. And I used to go out there on business, Bill. Beautiful, beautiful area. Yeah, it's it's great. So I know we have a lot of people, because I hear about uh, people who text and they say, I've got a, a prodigal, I've got a son, I've got a grandson, a granddaughter. They're, they're in addiction. I don't know what to do. Uh, do I do tough love? And uh, those questions are, are so difficult to answer. But, uh, George, when you have uh, a loved one in the house that are using and you don't know what to do, what are, what are some steps you can take? Well, number one is pray about it and don't stop praying mm-hmm. about it. Uh, that's always number one. And I would call people that know and and work with addicts, Salvation Army, Teen Challenge, um, and they've done it, and they know what to do. But I always want to caution people, Bill, and we get asked this a lot. Um, I'm a licensed counselor, too, and get asked about the family situation. Do I pull the tough love and kick my kid out of the street? What do we do? Because you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I always want to remind people that a lot of people don't survive this. What can you live with, worst case scenario? And I think a lot of times we're more focused on the other person, which is we should be, but we can't neglect ourselves either. Mm-hmm. And do you want to second guess yourself the rest of your life? And sometimes the this is very harsh, but it's real. Do, will you be okay with your kid dying on the street or would you rather have it in your basement? And I know that's very harsh, but that's a reality. Yeah. We've lost a lot of people, Bill. And, and, Uh, What's changed since I've been uh, in counseling, that's coming up on about 25 years. We're losing kids in junior high and high school at home. Amazing. That maybe uh, the fentanyl and the heroin is the first drug they ever did. End drug. That was what people used. Right. Yeah, that's Um, that's a whole other topic, the amount of fentanyl that's available and being mixed into drugs that are being sold to junior high and high school kids. It is, uh, you don't know what you're putting in your body. Absolutely. And if you OD and go to the ER, you can't tell the doctors what you took. Mm -hmm. And so it's a real problem. I don't have an answer for it. I I know God does, and I know that sounds kind of trite, but it actually is the bottom line on everything. 
and we need to pray and be open with people that are struggling uh, with your kids. Always make sure that it's okay for them to come talk to you. Mm-hmm. I want to let anyone who has a question, or maybe they're in the middle of a, a situation with someone, a dear loved one, a child, or a sibling, or a parent, and you don't know what to do, I've got George on the line for the next 15 minutes, so you might want to just uh, text me a question. I will ask it to him on your behalf. You can, of course, re- remain anonymous. The text line is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. George, we've been uh, working with men in recovery uh, for many, many, many years. You way longer than me, but when you talk about the possibility of of death, you know, you created two options. Do you want them dying on the street or in your basement? Of course, the answer is neither. Uh, Correct. We know the reality because uh, I think six to seven guys a year that I know or work with die every year. The last year I worked at the Salvation Army, eight of my guys died. And, of course, I have to get it back to me. And I thought, was, well, maybe I'm not as good at this as I thought I was, you know. <laughs> but it takes a little chunk out of you every time it happens. And it forces you to your knees. And I think, for me, the message I got from God was, hey, you need to talk more about salvation than sobriety. Mm-hmm. Bill, I believe you can lose your um, sobriety, but I don't believe you can lose your salvation. People might disagree with me on that. But I don't think we can undo what God's done. And that's a whole nother show. Mm. But the reason God allows your addiction, because he is sovereign and nothing happens that he doesn't allow, is to get your attention that he wants a relationship with you. He could intervene on it. And he does every time somebody gets sober. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking to you today. If it wasn't God, I um, celebrate anniversaries and people ask me, how did you do it? And for 25 years, I had a great Academy Awards acceptance speech. Really good. Bill. <laughs> and uh, I believe God kind of put a thought in my mind. How did you do it? You didn't even want to do it. I did it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that people that he brought into my life, you always talk about that everybody that you meet, if God is sovereign and he is, is a godly appointment. Things that I thought were coincidences weren't. How do you go from not thinking you could live without your drug and your lifestyle? It's a lifestyle. To going, I don't want to do that anymore, and I want to get sober and learn more about Jesus, and I love going to accountability meetings and going to church more than I like partying. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? It happens through the Lord. Yeah. Nothing is inconsequential in God's economy. So uh, I think we can always say that when God is moving and working in your life, there will be evidence, and you might think it's a coincidence here or a coincidence there, but uh, I think George and I would probably both disagree with that. Right. And And when you are in an addictive state, you have lost the power of choice. And what happens is you lose hope. Yeah. And you're using just to survive. And an outside agency has to break that. And that's that's God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can we talk a little about relapse, Bill? Do we have time for that? I would love to. I think I'd love to talk about that after we take a short break. But before we do that, I do have a question that came in from a listener. My wife has been on prescription oxycodone for about... 10 years in the last five years, her personality has changed. Is this possibly the results of legal drug use? And I I know you're not a doctor, 
but if they were to ever give us a TV show, we could play two doctors on TV. Be a great show. Uh, well, I don't know who. Not a lot it. of substance, a lot of laughs. <laughs> uh, I would consult a physician okay. and a professional. I would need more information of on course. that, and I'm sorry. No, no, I get it. Um, I get it. So, uh, George Fraser is my guest, and we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about relapse prevention. It's actually one of George's specialties. And uh, if you know someone who is uh, struggling, I think you're going to want to uh, make sure you. Um, Pay attention to what's coming up next. And also, you can always go to the podcast and send it on to someone who might be encouraged by what George is going to talk about next. Back to the show, and a special welcome to everyone at KLMP. That's um, in the Black Hills area. Been around for 50 years, and all of the friends that we're going to now make in western South Dakota, eastern Montana, and parts of southeastern Montana, we're just delighted to have uh, Faith 88.3 in Rapid City uh, become a very valuable part of the Faith Radio Network. My guest is George Fraser. He and I host the weekend show called Real Recovery. It airs Sunday at 5 and Saturdays at 3. And, George, let's talk a little bit of relapse prevention. I've also got some questions coming in for you. So let's start with relapse prevention. Okay. I thought it was smooth jazz with Bill Arnold there for a moment. Well, I, so that's I think great. That's, that's plan B. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we, when we look at relapse prevention, Billy, we need to have some terms, Okay. Uh, chemical abstinence is not using a chemical, mood-altering chemical. Sobriety is chemical abstinence with a change in our lifestyle. You don't just stop. You need to change some things, improve things. There's a reason you used, okay? We want to address those. Relapse is a term that I believe is misused a lot. And for people that are listening that aren't addicts or alcoholics, but our Christians, your life should be different. I believe everybody's in recovery uh, once they've become a Christian. Your life should be different afterwards. And uh, faith without works is dead. You should show something a little different. Relapse isn't using. It's the process that leads up to chemical use, okay? Relapse is a process by which we return to chemical use. And that is good news because there are warning signs before you're going to use. If you have some sobriety and you go out and use, and afterwards you think about, why did I do that? If you look in the rearview mirror, there were signs. Um, Did you stop doing what you were doing? That's what usually we do. We cut back on our recovery activities, maybe our quiet time in the morning, maybe our Bible study. Bill, I don't ask any one of my clients to do anything I'm not doing. And I start the day off before I get out of bed 
with God give me the power, strength, and desire to stay sober today. I feel like I'm, I'm covered then when I get out of bed. I don't want to get up on my own. And relapse is the process. You need to know what your warning signs are when you are doing it again, because you're going to get a warning that things aren't working for you. And, and for me, they're all eyes because my self-centeredness, I know that's a shock to you, and, and ego, um, how does this affect me get in the way? I get irritable. I get intolerant. Um, I, I can't sleep. I get insomnia. And those are eyes for me. And then I will get the insane thinking of, you know what? I wasn't that bad. I haven't had a drink in a long time. Maybe I could handle it now. And I know when I get those thoughts in my head, like this isn't working for me. Recovery's not good enough for me. If you go back to using really what you're saying, or if you go back to an old sinful behavior, what you're saying is your walk isn't giving you what you want and you feel you could get it by returning to your sinful behavior or using. Does this make any sense? A ton of sense. Okay. So for a lot of guys, and I only work with men, their recovery is boring. Okay. And I really believe in chemical dependency, you need to get out of your recovery what you were trying to get out of your using. That might shock people, but let me let me break it down for you really quick. If I was going to ask you, Bill, and I know you don't use any mood-altering chemicals at all, and that's to your credit, maybe after I'm on, you probably do want a couple bumps, but we're not going there. Um, what does it give you? And if I ask my guys, they tell me, I like the buzz. I like the escape. I like the celebration. I like being around my friends with the snappy patter. These are all things you should have in your life anyway, mm. but you're trying to get them from something that can kill you, and it's not going to give you this without a huge consequence. When you use a mood-altering chemical, all you're doing is changing how you feel. We go to Romans 12, where we offer our body as a holy living uh, sacrifice acceptable to God. There's a physical component to our addiction. We like the, the change in feeling. Can you get that other ways? Yeah, you and I are both workout guys. Uh, I worked out today. I feel great. It takes the edge off. It reduces stress. It gets the endorphins going. God has supplied us with a body that uh, we can offer these things in an act of worship. John Piper is right. Christian hedonism. We, we offer to God everything we do is an act of worship, okay? We want to make it a worship to God, not to ourselves and not to the enemy. So if you're bored and your recovery isn't as fun as you're using, go do something. Are you reading a book? Um, can you join a Bible study? Uh, what do you do for fun? Bill, everything I do, I try to make it uh, a worship to God. And when I realize that I can worship God by honoring him by being on the lake or even playing golf with me with my recovery friends, mm -hmm. it was a game changer. This is Christianity is a program of action. And I think where, where I get in trouble, and I think as I work with, we believe in Jesus. But belief is um, knowing it and acting on it, trusting it. 
I can I can tell you what a verse might be, but if I don't really trust God to take care of me and that it's going to be better, I don't think I really believe it. And so what you want to do is trust God and, and get a mentor that maybe helped, uh, helps you get sober by doing it before you did. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Mm-hmm. And so when you're having a tough day, my checklist is, did I do my quiet time this morning? Did I blow through it? Did I get my workout in? How much sleep did I get? All these things, how did I eat today, are really um, important to my recovery. Have I talked to people? I got to tell you, in, in the 30 plus years, the COVID thing for me, Bill, has been the toughest. Mm-hmm. And the reason is I had uh, cancer five years ago, lung cancer, and I'm, I can't get COVID without a bad result. I've been at home a lot. And I have to work my recovery program and be grateful for what I can do, not what I can't do. I spend four or five hours a day on the phone. Um, I, I Zoom uh, my accountability group. I Zoom church. Uh, I Zoom my Bible study. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for God that I can do that. I can work out at home, too. That's, that's it. So if you get into the process, the warning signs will identify that for you, and then you can change it. I also want you to have some fighter verses of scripture that when the thought comes into your head that you'd like to use, that you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from God, I can do nothing. And pray to God first and then do something. You have a choice here. When you were addicted, you didn't. And really what comes down to me, does God want me to be a sober guy or a using guy? And I don't have an argument that he wants me to be a using guy. Mm Mm-hmm. George, you say that every activity you can treat as an act of worship to God, including things like golf. Is it good Christian stewardship to play golf and lose so many balls in one round? <laughs> don't start with me. I don't, I'm not that mature. No. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I heard there's a title of shortage this year. I'm dead. I yeah, you're, you're, you're in big trouble. <laughs> but yeah. I think I think a lot of it is... Christianity should never be boring, Bill. Amen. And it should be fun. And we don't compartmentalize our life where, well, that's a Jesus activity and this isn't. Right. Yeah, well said. Another question that came in from a listener, is marijuana use dangerous? I think all altering chemicals are dangerous. And the question um, I I always ask my guys is, and I think the marijuana that we're dealing with today is a lot different than it was 20 years ago. It's a lot more powerful. Why do you want to change your state? Mm -hmm. And and that's a good question. And and I'm not a a person who thinks uh, drinking a couple drinks is bad, Um, but there's a potential for danger here. Does it help you get closer to God by doing it is always a good question Mm -hmm. to ask. Mm Mm-hmm. Does it impair your judgment? And if it does, is that a place you want to be? Yes. And, and I believe that um, they're good. it's a very good question. I never thought it was bad. And that used to be the gateway drug bill. It started with cigarettes. That didn't work out either. <laughs> but pot, pot's not harmful. Well, the next thing I knew a few years later, I'm a cocaine addict and I'm, you know, I was thinking about killing myself. And that's what happens to people. Um, there's a long-term effect 
that might not be present right away with a huge, you know, drastic. But what happens is Tim Keller talks about sin and addiction parallel each other. There's a tolerance. Um, when you're drinking, maybe instead of two, you need four. You, you have increased tolerance. And when you stop, there's a withdrawal. You miss it. And you got to fill that gap in. I, The older I've gotten and being around people, I'm real cautious about any mood-altering chemical. Um because of the dangers that it can lead to. And it's a very slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And I go back to Genesis 3. God didn't tell you, you know, you're going to be like God if you do this. Um, We see a lot of uh, sad stories from people who started smoking marijuana, and now they're heroin addicts, but we work with them. Yeah, I know, all the time. George, thanks. We're going to look forward to uh, our show on this Sunday. We've got a great guest named Rebecca coming on. She's going to tell an incredible story of transformation and what Jesus has done in her life, so I do invite you to tune in for that. But you can catch us anytime on Real Recovery, Sundays at 5 p.m. Central and also 3 p.m. Central on Saturday. And then you can also... Anytime, go to MyFaithRadio.com. The Real Recovery has our own page. The picture on it is George and I 10 years ago. We're not going to change it because we look younger and better in that picture, so we're not swapping it out. But you absolutely um, look forward to uh, having you visit Real Recovery. Come come to the show. Take a listen. Nice to have you on the show, George. Hey, thanks, Billy. Yep, have a great rest of the day. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. All right, see ya. George Fraser has been my guest, co-host of Real Recovery. All right, we're going to deal with um, the book of Esther next. We're going to talk about Esther in our Old Testament series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are talking to Dr. Jarrett Stevens. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.